what would it be like to make time? Not in the sense of maybe a blue box whirling through space or a DeLorean that can go really fast, but actually sitting down with the tools and the knowledge and the engineering to create a timepiece, or at least try. Not all of us are masters of time or time lords. It's a really wibbly wobbly timey-wimey kind of thing. But for some of us in the watch fam, we're curious as to what goes into making one of these practical time machines. Many of us starting in the culture of Seiko modding may be further progressing into building something original using off-the-shelf parts. But then even a smaller portion of us actually go to school, actually go and get trained in the formal art of watchmaking, becoming one of the very few people who can make time. And today's guest is one of those people who practices that craft. Her name is Elena. She goes by the handle at A Diaz with underscores. She is a watchmaker based out of Seattle, Washington, just south of us here in Bellingham. She is a recent graduate of the Seattle Watchmaking School and a friend of ours in the Watch Fam. You've tuned into the Bellingham Podcast miniseries, The Watch Fam, brought to you by The Analog Explorer. Read about my analog manifesto through my photography and my passions of travel and watches in print or now as a digital magazine at theanalogexplorer.com. Now watches and watchmaking itself is an old technology and an old skill. And you would be forgiven thinking that this art and this skill, as well as this hobby, would be reserved for an older generation, especially given that today's generation really knows that their watch is in their pocket, it's on their smartphone. Perhaps there is a growing trend where younger folk are looking towards timepieces to get away from their phones or to be more in the present. Now, Elena, she is in her mid-30s and she's a professional watchmaker. And she got her start into watchmaking through cars, loving things that are mechanical. But it took a happy accident for her, shifting gears from cars to watchmaking. A happy accident that involved changing five batteries at once. More on that later though. But again, just like our other guests, you'll quickly hear how open we all are in the watch fam, whether you are a modder, an enthusiast, or a watchmaker, a real one, talking about things like struggles with certain calibers, watch movements, or who's the best bond, or even sharing stories about our families, like in Elena's case, stories about her dad and her sharing the exact same watch tastes. And that brought up an interesting point for the both of us. We hadn't thought, why is it that we qualify men's and women's watches? Isn't a watch just a watch? So with that said, you ever wonder what happens when you ask a watchmaker, why watches? So Elena, welcome to the show. Thank you, AJ. So let's start with um, what what is on your wrist? Good question. It's a Hamilton khaki. It's a 7750 chronograph. Nice. Pretty excited about it. It has a it came in a, a box with the bracelet and the strap, but I actually put a black leather NATO style Barton strap on most of my watches because they're really comfortable. <laughs> Dude, that's cool. Yeah, you, sh- you shot me a-, a picture of it and stuff and that that field khaki is is super, co- super cool. I can't take it off lately. It's been on my wrist about a week straight. 
Cool. And it's, what's funny is like the, the 7750, like a lot of those, I don't know, a lot of the, the chronos that I've seen with that caliber, like really looks like they're like horking, but on your wrist, it looks like it's pretty balanced. Yeah, it's, it's a good one. I, I really like the shape of the Hamilton case and it's a really awesome movement that I've been studying for a while now and not finished studying. So <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It's a little bit intimidating to me still, but I hopefully I'll master it someday. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, a, a chronograph movement would be not just int- intimidating to me. It, w- it would frighten the heck out of me. So, <laughs> so we should start to, at the top of the show and pretty much get out of the way. You're a watchmaker. Like, I am a watchmaker. A yeah. legit watchmaker. Not like some schmuck that's on a podcast that, you know, dabbles in modding and breaks a lot of things. But uh, h- how did you get into watchmaking? I, I was actually a car mechanic when I was younger, in my 20s. I'm in my mid-30s now. Hey, um, me too. <laughs> and, the the mid-30s part, not not the car mechanic. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always, I always kind of hesitate. So I'm like, it's inappropriate for a woman to tell her age, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> so yeah, in my early 20s, I was obsessed with cars, you know, always, even teens loved cars, um, loved mechanics since a kid. But I decided I wanted to be a car mechanic my whole life. And that was what I was going to do forever. And I, uh, went to school and did that in my 20s and was working in Arizona and it gets pretty hot there. Uh, in the summertime, it can get up to 115, 117. And there was one summer where I just decided I'm going to look at, for another job for a little while. I still love cars and I worked on them with friends, you know, but found out about this guy that my dad and my boyfriend at the time would take their watches into and he needed to hire somebody So I went in and um, it was just battery changes, a watch technician job. And I explained to him, I work on cars, not watches. And he kind of laughed and said, I really need someone to work for here. I think if you can work on a car, you can figure out how to change a battery. He showed (laughs) me really quick. (laughs) Really that quick. Um, Pulled me behind the counter, uh, pulled out five watches and said, you know, change the battery. I didn't realize he meant for me to do one and he went and ran to the restroom and came back and I had done all five. He had wanted me to just do one. Um, and he basically said, when can you start? (laughs) It was that quick. And it was, yeah, that was how I got into it about a year into being a watch technician. And I realized, you know what? I love cars. I'm always going to be passionate about cars, but, watches are my like soulmate if you can think of a job (laughs) being a soulmate I never had been so excited about a job where it was not work to me and I just wanted to hurry to work every day and I was I was there five years and about three years into it I that gentleman left and I had to hire I didn't take the management position so I had to help find someone to take the management position. I didn't want the paperwork. I wanted to keep working on the watches. Awesome. Um, And so I ended up weird scenario. I helped train my manager then. So I was put in this position where everything my boss knew I taught him. um, And 
I got to this place where I started looking online and thinking, you know, I don't want to just change batteries. I don't like how I have to send off all these awesome mechanical movements. I had to mail them to a watchmaker that worked for the company. And uh, I wanted to do that. I wanted to know how to do that. So I started researching schools and found the one in Seattle and spent about two years working and saving money before I even applied because I knew if for some weird reason I get accepted to this school, I need to be able to move there. <laughs> so I worked and saved up money and uh, flew out, applied after contacting the school and I, I got accepted and it was just like, that was one of the coolest days of my life was getting accepted and then packed my, my dog and my stuff in a U-Haul and drove to Seattle and went to school for two years <laughs> to become a watchmaker. And now that's what it says on my desk and it's super unreal. And I love, I love my life because that's my job. <laughs> and it's, it's pretty exciting when you find something that's that cool. <laughs> that, that is a cool, then that's a cool story. Now you also just recently, recently ish graduated from the, the watchmaking school in Seattle, right? Yes, I did uh, a matter of months ago. Uh, I graduated again. over the summer. When uh, you and also, I think you have you have some other uh, other peeps in the watch fam that were in your your class, if I recall. Yes, there is. There's um, Nick Harris that does Orion. He's he was in my class, and there Patrick is the guy who I'm lucky enough to work with. There's quite a bit, and we all actually ran. Oh, and Gabe, he actually starts a day before my birthday next week oh, <laughs> on the 25th he is the youngest in the class super awesome energetic guy um worked with nick a lot and he starts next week so i'll have two guys working with me in seattle that i was in school with so it's being two years with them you, you get really close so i'm yeah, pretty excited to have two in the same building as me. It sounds like you and Nick were, I mean, were were side by side in in the program. Uh, literally, we sat next to each other. <laughs> the year. Yeah, he was in my class. Um, one, he's a really good friend. I really adore that guy so much, and just the passion that I'm so passionate about watches and being in the watch fam, you know, and like anything horology, I just get so excited about, and it's really neat when you see that in another person and watching him with his company I'd see him we'd we'd finish these long grueling days at school and he would just keep going he'd stay keep going keep working just constantly working it's because he really loves it he's really passionate he cares it's not just throwing together some stuff you know for fun it's like his passion it's what he loves and he puts a lot into it and that's beautiful to see well, I mean, I mean, all of you have to be pretty passionate because, I mean, it, it, what what does what does watchmaking school actually look like? I mean, I mean, a lot of us in the watch fam who are tinkers or, or modders, you know, we kind of we kind of are, are, are kind of bootstrapped in our, our knowledge where it's like, OK, I've got, you know, two hundred dollars in an SKX. What can I not break this weekend? You know, yeah. Um, what, what's real watchmaking school look like? I guess. I do the Seiko modding at home and. You know, I tinker with stuff at home also. So I guess the difference here, my my desk is basics and you'll have one or two watches that you have the time for um, and are in your budget. And the school, they, this incredible facility with 
really knowledgeable instructors and it's two it's two rooms there's a first year room and a second year room the first year room is manufacturing where they teach you how to you know filing metal for hours and hours day after day <laughs> <laughs> once you can make a you know that where you where you uh, move on from that you know you start to cut shapes with saws and then you know there's there's theory going on the whole time so there's books everywhere um there's lathes we did a lot of lathe work which i love i have a lathe in my living room which is funny because <laughs> luckily my friends that come over know like okay like there's the couch and then there's a desk with a lathe <laughs> they're not surprised because they know me so where someone might have a dvd collection i'm like well, here's my lathe in my living room. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I love the new art piece. That's not art. I make yes. art with it. <laughs> <laughs> so that was really neat to have lathes and be able to learn how to use that tool, I think was really exciting. I fell in love with that as well in school. But just to know how to make tools, a lot of the tools that I use in watchmaking that are my favorite tools I made myself my first year. Oh, um, cool. So that's, that's really special. I think when you're any sort of mechanic or builder, you take pride in your work and you love your tools and it's that much more special if you can make them and pretty awesome. And then the second year room is watchmaking benches, which the first year room is too, but it's, more manufacturing on them and then the second year you have the benches where you're just basically working on what actual watches and then there's a we learn polishing also and refinishing so in between the two rooms is a polishing and refinishing room um, as well as the drills and stuff like that watchmaking school is much more than just like modding because like as a modder like i go and i source a case and i source a movement and then hopefully i don't break anything in between and i get a crown and stem but in watchmaking school it's legitimate like here is a chunk of metal you will mill it into something like <laughs> yeah um i think that that's an interesting thing you know being handed a blueprint from your instructor and saying you know, you're going to make stuff out of metal and not some of us had experience with that, but not everyone that goes into the school does. So mm. the manufacturing thing is, I think, interesting and it's a neat part of it. Um, learning the theory and then the work that goes behind it. It's pretty great. Outside of the, the, the manufacturing part, I'm presuming like there's got to be like certain certificates that you have to do that are based off of like different movements or different manufacturers. I mean, how, how do you get the, the smarts that you got to be able to look at a, you know, 7750 and be like, I'm going to pull this apart and put it back together and make it work? <laughs> uh, there is, there's, there's certificates that you can get while you're at the school. And then also when you go into watchmaking, a lot of companies, you'll go to different brands and they will test you. So you ever, you never get finished testing, which where someone like me who has very bad testing <laughs> that's the one thing about the job that I'm I don't get super excited about you know as you're always getting tested but I think they uh with the school you know they didn't immediately throw us on a 7750 you oh. learn theory we did the 6497 mm. um and then 
2824. And they, yeah. so they do, you start with the theory and then you do a manual one and then an automatic and then a chrono. Oh, cool. So you're not just jumping into chronographs. Oh, that's good. Because if I jumped into it, um, there would be parts everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and they teach you things too, like like little tiny crazy things that you would never think of. Like they make you sharpen your tweezers and by hand and your screwdrivers, how, how to dress your screwdrivers, you know, and like not damage parts. Um, mm. And there it's, that stuff is really important. So you're not just kind of go, going in chaotic. And <laughs> so that guns a blazing. I, I get it. It's cool. You can call me out. You know, I've only, no, no. Broken, I've only broken two SW 200 <laughs> movements in my life. I think uh, that, that was definitely like the, a challenging thing for a lot of us because they'll, they may, they'll make you do it over and over again. until you're very careful. <laughs> so that I mean that's that, that's actually an interesting point. So in in watchmaking, like, like doing what you're doing um, for like realsies for a, a company or, or for for yourself, do you not find anything about trying to troubleshoot a mechanical thing like tedious? If it's anything like my experience, and I, it's like I do not play a watchmaker, nor do I try to attempt to be one on a podcast. But the the SW two hundred that I have, I have I still have a keyless issue with that thing, and I am constantly tearing down the dial just to get back, reset the keyless, put everything back just to have it not work again. And then I have to do it over and over and over and over again. Like, do you find any, any frustrations like that in your, your work? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it can be a very frustrating job. Okay, cool, cool. The grass is not greener on the other side. Okay, cool. It's not just me. I'm just checking. I mean, just today I had, I finished a watch and at the last minute, uh, thought it was, you know, ready to go and uh, ha- have to go in tomorrow and fix something. <laughs> so <laughs> it, that stuff can, I mean, it doesn't happen every day, but I think like any job, you have days where it's frustrating. And especially with any sort of mechanics, to me, I think you can think about it a lot and you can think about a problem you're having. And sometimes it takes so long to figure it out. But when you do, it's that much more rewarding because you put time into it for me anyway. But also there's a rumor that watchmakers are a little crazy. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I enjoy it. I don't find it tedious. I, lo- I like doing that. I, I like working on, <laughs> working on them and like working on a problem for a long time. Even if I get frustrated, I, you know, you just kind of se- step back and talk to other people in the watch fam and like yeah. ask them questions, I think is, is really important. That is the one thing that I love about this, this hobby or passion or quirk, kink, whatever you want to call what we are, is the, the amount of openness there is. Like I can, I can reach out to somebody like you or, or Nick. Like the, the reason why I, I know Nick is I have been hunting for an SKX031. And it's it's basically um, Seiko's take on what a, a Submariner would look like and ought to be in today's day and age. It's not it's not Rolex. It's not it's not luxury, right? At least I I think it is luxury, but it's not luxury in the Rolex sense, right? And I started combing through everything, trying to find a a, a case that I could just you know start from scratch, just like I did with the the other projects. And the only thing I can equate tinkering with watches to is for some people, it's like tattoos, I've been told. Once you get one, it's never the end, I've been told. And 
I like that analogy. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the only way I can equate it to people that sure. are not watch fam people because I know a lot of people with tattoos, not a lot of people with watches. So <laughs> finding a case that was not egregiously expensive or coming from parts unknown where I do not know whether or not it's going to be legit and or functional, it was just atrocious. And so finally, Nick was uh, on Instagram and he was, he was moving apparently. And he, I mean, knowing his reputation as a modder, I'm like, well, if there's any time to reach out to him, I'm going to reach out now. And I'm like, hey, you wouldn't by chance have a 0040 Seiko case, would you? You know, I'm just, it's Project Watch. It doesn't have to be like, I'm not an Uber collector. I just, I'm looking for something to learn. And sure enough, he had one. And he took a picture of it. He goes, I am not going to lie, dude. It's in rough shape. And I, I, I'm looking at it and I'm going, yeah, it's in rough shape. But like, that's the shape. That is the shape I am looking for. What yes. parts do you have? And, <laughs> and because it's coming from somebody like Nick, who, you know, is a watchmaker like yourself and respected in the, the modding community. I was just, do the threads work? Is things going to screw in? Because yeah, I can't mill anything. I am not that kind. I'm not you guys. Like, <laughs> and he goes, no, it's just in, it's not in, it's not in good shape. I'm just letting you know, dude, you're going to need crystals and gaskets. I'm like, dude, I can do that. That stuff I can do. But will it go together? He's like, yeah, done. Take my money. And. <laughs> So he sent it to me and he sent me some extra stuff. I needed some extra 7S26 parts and he, you know, sent it to me. It just, it's great. Like I can just be open and honest. Like here's me hat in hand. I know nothing. Help. And there is somebody somewhere that will offer anything that they know, you know, and in reciprocity, like I've been, and I don't know anything and I've been hit up, you know, in technology, there's a lot of like, can't let everybody know your secrets, you know, unless you're Chris and I, then we're blabbermouths and we'll put it on a podcast. But, you know, that is what's really cool and really open about this is you can literally be into watches because they look pretty or you're into watches because you are a masochist and you want to learn how to build one or get bit because you like mechanical things and you can change five batteries in a watch when something's go into the restroom. Like, <laughs> I love that. It's a great story. Um, yeah, the, the, it's, it's crazy how open we all are. Um, I'm, me just reaching out to you being like, hey, do you want to be on a show? Yeah, I think, I think it's really great. And even you say people ask you questions, you know, it's, it's one of those, there's so much knowledge with watches and there's so many things to learn that I think like there's someone who like, you know, Seiko Mani, like, how do I do that? Like, I used to watch Nick do it. And I'm like, I want to do that. What is he doing? <laughs> Show me. And I would just kind of hover over his desk and watch him. Help me, Orion Juan Kenobi. You're our only hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I love that too. And there's always someone, you know, something, like you said, if you don't know something, you can ask someone yeah. and they, you know, they'll, they'll try to teach you. And it's, I, it is a really neat and special community. <laughs> Especially, we are all special. Yes. Um, so, so outside of our community, because we're all like in it, in it deep. So uh, the outside community by and large, like uh, what, what is the, the industry of watchmaking look like in, in the future? I mean, uh, outside of like, you know, hot horology and stuff. I mean, in a practical sense, like uh, what do you see as a watchmaker? Is, is there like a trend of, of, a resurgence of people be getting back into watches or are we just all nose deep into our black mirrors of doom in our pockets? I, I hope not. I don't, I like to keep the positive outlook and 
I, I especially, I think, you know, I'm interested living in the U.S. to see where American watchmaking goes. I think that there's a lot of people that I know really excited. You know, there's another, um, it's a, a, watch, a watch school that you'll, um, in Arizona uh, hmm. that just, um, I think, had their grand opening last week, maybe, really recently. Um, and there's uh, Aries watches is the, my new, like, I, I love that company. I think it's really cool. It's my, um, a guy in Washington doing those. Oh, cool. Um, it's really exciting. He's very passionate about like, you know, local and U S and, um, it's, it's exciting seeing people get excited. And I love that about the watch industry is there's people that are just so passionate about it. So I think as long as there's people who are excited and passionate and want to do things and want to get together like you and I are now and talk about it. I don't think that it'll die. You know, um, I, I, I've seen more maybe because I'm in the industry. I've, I've seen more people get way more excited about their watches than, you know, phones. I think there's, there's dialogue that can happen with watches. If you see something on someone's wrist, I've been sitting next to someone on an airplane and we start talking about each other's watches or I think it's always been like that. If you look like, I don't know, Steve McQueen or James Bond, or those are, you know, cool guys that I thought, you know, were awesome and wanted to be like <laughs> growing up and like, look at their watches, look at their cars. But I think that it, there's something exciting. And like you were talking about, I love the watch that I saw on your Instagram that you made for your son. Um, I think that's such a cool story and watches do that. They, they have a bond that they create with people. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't think that it's going to go away because <laughs> they do that. <laughs> Who doesn't like Sean Connery as James Bond? I mean, that, that's my bond, right? Like <laughs> he's my favorite too. <laughs> it's kind of like when it comes to James Bond, it's like Dr. Who's we all have our own bonds. We have our own yes. doctors, right? David yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, what about what about other other women in the, in the watch fam? I mean, what are what are some female influences in in watch in the watch fam or in in watchmaking? Thing, I guess I was attracted to. I I want to you know have cool watches and cool cars and be like the king of cool, Steve McQueen. Like all that stuff is awesome. I um, but there's there's definitely some really cool women. There, uh, Brittany Cox is in Washington. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She's incredible. And Rebecca Struthers, she's in the UK. So I think the two of them are, I have the biggest admiration for. Um, Rebecca Struthers, she was the first person to get a doctorate in urology in the UK, wow. which is super exciting. I was in school when she did that. And I remember just, you know, hooray and reading the news and being so excited and everything Brittany does is incredible. So there's, there's definitely some really awesome women that do things, but I think, I don't know, for me, I think putting, <laughs> to be honest, putting like, uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty feminine, you know, uh, I guess, but I also don't like to put gender on stuff. I don't really own any women's watches. <laughs> I, I just like, I like tools. I like mechanics. I always have, you know, uh, I like makeup and I like heels, but I also like cars and tools and watches and you know I, a tool watches are my favorite you know I love dive watches I love chronographs 
Yeah, my 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 wife's complaint with most uh, female watches is she always does the same thing. She's like, I don't like pink. I don't want diamonds. Get me a real yeah. watch. Like, <laughs> yeah, and I think I definitely relate to that. That's why I don't own any women's watches because girls, women, we want to we want to fun. We like cool things. We like right? fast cars. I don't know. I think I definitely I like the traditional, you know, gentleman's. Like, you know, like the Sean Connery in a tux driving a... The debonair? Yeah, like, or if, like, you know, guy in a tux with a Rolls Royce and, like, or, you know, Lotus Elise. Like, I like, I like the Bond movies because of that. But it's also, maybe not now in my late 30s, but when I was younger, like, the question, like, but... Like, can I do that? <laughs> I want those things. I think those things are cool. Is that okay? Um, I don't think that so much anymore. Like now I'm just, it's what I like. Of course it's okay. It's what yeah. I'm into. But, you know, I think it's definitely, I think it's okay for female to dress how she wants to and to wear, you know, she wants to wear like a 40 plus millimeter watch even on her wrist because she thinks that it's cool or she likes, you know, the complications on it, you know, if she Mm -hmm. wants to wear a dive watch or anything like that, I think it's pretty awesome. (laughs) I think it's pretty awesome. And it's allowed and do what you want. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like I look at, I look at something like the Oyster Datejust, like, you know, that watch, that is not a male or female watch. It's just a watch. Like anybody can wear that thing anybody i'm hoping with the new resurgence of like smaller case diameter watches we're getting away from like the sundial watches thank goodness i'm looking at you panerai like (sighs) i'm i'm hoping that it kind of brings the concept that a watch is a watch is a it's a tool like you get it because of form or functionality or the the both i'm wondering uh talking about it with you uh i guess when i first started uh wearing watches and getting into them uh i would wear the smaller ones i still love 34 36 millimeter I, I think i stopped noticing and being self-conscious uh throughout the years of what it looked like on me whereas maybe at first i would have thought oh can i pull this off is it big is it masculine and now i just kind of don't worry about it so i don't know if like start small and go bigger <laughs> if you want to and you're afraid to i guess you know there's always things like statement jewelry you know, sure. that women wear. So it's sure valid. You can look at it that way. My dad and I have very similar style. That's um, awesome. And we have a lot of the same watches. <laughs> like we both have the uh, Orion in uh I have the black field standard. He has a silver. Oh cool. And it's because he's like a very, very athletic, lean guy like that's where I got my <laughs> he always is doing hiking and stuff where I got my hiking and backpacking obsession from too <laughs> but uh, he so he likes the smaller ones because yeah. he's not this huge dude um, and he likes 34 36 and mm-hmm. you know I I think they look good on a female wrist also yeah um, I th- I think I think every watch looks good on a female wrist <laughs> I know, would completely you know, the, agree the 34 36 is it's it's a good size, you know. The Rolex, I, I appreciate those too. Um, they're I think they range like thirty one to thir- to forty four, but yeah. there's um, 
the classic I think is about 34, 36. And mm. The Orion ones are pretty, pretty good size. I'm trying to think of some other ones that are that size that I like. Oh, did you see the Timex uh, blackout? Uh, what is it? That one I thought was really cool that they remade that. And that it's, that one I think is around that size too. I really like that they remade an older one. Yeah. The, the, the Marlin. Yes. Yeah. yeah the Mar- the Marlin Blackout is the yeah. one that I have. Um, it's pretty cool. It was an anniversary present and I really, really enjoy that one. I got to, I got to bring it back to one simple question that I'm asking uh-huh. everybody on this mini series. And that is the, the really simple yet complex. And I am expecting a very long winded answer as always. Why watches? Why watches? Uh, I don't think I have a long winded answer. Mine is short because I have, I've never loved something so much. That's it. Like wow. nothing gets me that excited. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> I have not had somebody just mic drop on me. Just like, I've never loved anything more. Yeah, I, I like everything about them, I think. So just mechanics that are um, it's accessible. You can do it at a desk. Mm. It's not like you don't need to hoist them up on a lift or have these massive tools. And everyone all over the world loves them. That wraps up this special edition of the Bellingham Podcast. Thank you again so much for listening to us, rating us, reviewing us, wherever you like to get your podcast. Remember, if you're in the Bellingham area, you might be listening to us on KMRE 102.3 FM, Low Power. Community radio here in the heart of the city by the Salish Sea. And also remember that this mini-series is brought to you by The Analog Explorer. Find out more about my analog manifesto through my photography, my love of travel, and of course, my tick for watches. You can read about it in a digital magazine or in print at theanalogexplorer.com. Thank you again so much for tuning in. I'm AJ Barsay, and we will see you next week.